0: I want you to open your Bible over to 1 Timothy as we continue going verse by verse through 1 Timothy. I guess you would say we're halfway through 1 Timothy. I hope you've appreciated this study and enjoyed it as much as I have. And I've entitled this today, Dangerous Trends in the Church. Dangerous Trends in the Church. One of the truths that we have in our world that disproves evolution is called the second law of thermodynamics or the law of entropy some people call it and basically what it says and of course you can observe this this is observable science okay this is not theory this is something we know to be true the law of entropy says this all things tend toward randomness and decay in other words things wear out things wear out if you get clothing if you get shoes if you get a new car You know, if you wonder whether things wear out or not, just drive by a junkyard. Every one of those cars at one point was brand new, shiny, the pride and joy of somebody, right? But here they are, they're in the junkyard. What happened? Well, they didn't get better. They didn't turn into Rolls Royces or Corvettes or something like that as time went on. No, they wore out. They went downhill. And that is just the way it is, okay? Now, what people don't understand is this. What is true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. What is true in the physical realm is also true in the church. See, we accept this in science, but most of us are naive about this when it comes to the church, the body of Christ and the local church. When it happens in the beliefs of the church... When things tend toward randomness and decay, and let me say this, if you don't do anything about it, they will tend toward randomness and decay. Now, there's a name for that when it happens in the church. It's a word. It's called apostasy. Apostasy. It is falling away from the truth. It is getting away from the truth of God. It is allowing air to come in and just like termites to a house, eat away little by little by little and before you know it, the thing collapses or it's worthless or it's of no effect the way it was at one point. Apostasy. For a church to continue on and not stray, to stay true to its beliefs and true to its mission and goal, it takes attention and maintenance to keep things right. Just like it does, you know, your car is going to last a lot longer if you change the oil, if you don't let it rust too much, if you maintain it the way you should. It's not going to maintain itself. It doesn't get better. You have to maintain it. And the same is true in the local church. Now, what we have in First Timothy, of course, the theme of our study in First Timothy, God's blueprint for the church. And so these are truths that we need to take heed to. And listen, what we're covering today is something that most churches, unfortunately, are not taking heed to, and therefore they are starting to, well, let me put it this way, they're on a path towards randomness and decay. They're going to fall apart. And there are lots of churches who have fallen apart because they've allowed certain things to creep into their belief. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, Paul says this to Timothy the pastor, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demons, all right? Now, I believe the latter times is longer than the last days. I think it covers most of church history. The latter times is longer than the last days, but the last days are the last part of the latter times. And I think that is where we're living today. As a matter of fact, I know that's where we're living today. Seeing that is true, we are going to focus on the last days. Now, I want you to hold your place here, and I want you to go to 2 Timothy, just a couple pages over to your right. 2 Timothy chapter 4, right after Paul strongly urges Timothy to preach the word. Preach the word. He says this, he gives the reason why preaching the word of God as it is, is so important. He says in verse three, for the time will come, and I believe it is now as we live, for the time will come when they will not endure or put up with, that's what the word endure means, sound doctrine, sound teaching, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. Their ears need to be itched or tickled, okay? The people. So they find somebody who will say what they want, not what they need. And look at the result. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Turning away from the truth is apostasy. Turning away, falling away from the truth is apostasy, And so I want you to go back to First Timothy chapter 4 for just a moment. You notice again in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, here we are, we're there today, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demons. So the first thing we look at here in our passage and in our study are the days of apostasy, the days of the apostasy. One of the characteristics of the last days is that those who have known the truth will depart from the truth. They will depart by means of false doctrine, false teaching. Now, you might say, okay, well, why don't you define false doctrine? I will do that. If you look at scriptures, if you examine the scriptures, here's what you end up coming up with. False doctrine is anything that contradicts what the Bible says. Okay, the word of God is true. Therefore, anything that goes against it is false. The psalmist said, therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. God's way is right. Anything that disagrees with it is false. That's what the Bible says. Doctrine, the word doctrine, it's not a, don't, don't think in terms of, oh, that's something I can't understand. No, the word doctrine, it just means teaching. There's True teaching, and there's false teaching. So anything that contradicts the word of God goes against what it says is false teaching or false doctrine. Now, where did this all begin? Well, it goes all the way back, actually, to Genesis chapter three. In the garden where Satan came to Adam and Eve, and he said in Genesis 3, one, it says, now the serpent was more subtle, crafty, deceptive, Then any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What did Satan do? Right off the bat, he's tempting her with questioning, through questioning the word of God. That's how he tempted her. Does the Bible really say that? We see The way this happens, folks, apostasy happens this way. There's the questioning of the word of God. In other words, does it really say that? Does it really mean that? And you see, there's a lot of that going on today. There's a lot of that going on today. There's denominations and there's different groups that used to be very solid on some of the truths of scripture that now are caving in because of critical race theory, because of the LGBTQ, movement, because of all the other things that are going on. And they're saying, well, I don't know. Maybe we should go back and check this out, whether this is true. Okay, guess what? You're already on your way out. You're already on your way down because you're questioning what God says. So first comes questioning, then comes compromise. Well, we can accommodate this. And then what that leads to, folks, is just an all-out commitment to error. So there's a questioning, there's a compromise, and then there's a commitment to error. It all begins with, oh yeah, this is where we stand. Thus saith the Lord, this is what we believe. Then we question it, and then we try to accommodate or compromise with error. And then, of course, that leads to a commitment to error. That error that is compromised with That's a commitment because now you adopt that instead of the truth that you began with. That's how apostasy takes place. And yet, what do we have? We have the wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs. It says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse five, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Look at verse six. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove Thee Rebuke thee, and thou be found what? A liar. When you add to the word of God, when you add to what it says, you're going to be found a liar. We have no right to add to what God said. We simply need to bow the knee to it and give in to it. Secondly, giving heed to seducing spirits that are behind the apostasy. Okay? So we see. The first issue that we face is we are in the days of apostasy, but what does that lead to? The apostasy's there. You don't have to give into it, but that's what people are doing. They're giving in to the falling away from the truth of Scripture. They're compromising, okay? Everything from being pro-abortion to just many of the things we've already covered in this series, women preachers. The issue of leadership, who can lead in a church, who can't, and so forth. All the things that we've already seen. But secondly, giving heed to seducing spirits that are behind the apostasy. The word seducing, it means deceiving, deceiving. They depart from the faith by being seduced or drawn away by, and look who is behind the drawing away. Demons. Demons. Now, Satan is a demon. He's the head of the demons. Demons are fallen angels. See, folks, the tool of the demons is false teaching. That's the tool that they use. A false teaching is almost always a matter of error mixed in with truth. That's what makes it deceiving. If it was just full-blown truth, or full-blown error, excuse me, you know, if I had some poison, okay, the best way to, if I wanted to kill you with poison, The best way to do so is to have some clear water, find some clear poison that's very toxic. And all I got to do is put one little drop in there to where you won't notice the funny taste. If you put too much, it'll taste funny. Be too late by then anyway. But anyway, one little drop. Oh, here you go. Oh, you thirsty? Here, have some. Yeah, whoa. whoa, thanks. Down. You're out. Down and out. If I came to you with a beaker and it had some purple stuff in it that was boiling, here, drink some, that wouldn't fool you. That wouldn't fool you for a second. You have to disguise it. Demons disguise their error by mixing it with truth. And that is what's deceptive about it. A false doctrine usually has enough truth mixed in to fool the person who is Hearing it Now, what is a demonic doctrine? Satan wants to try to strip the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it comes down to. And this goes across the board. Satan wants to strip the Lord Jesus Christ of his glory and to cover it up with something else. Satan does not want Jesus Christ to be glorified. He does not want Jesus Christ to be worshipped. He wants to be like God himself. And if he can't be that... He's going to do everything he can to try to strip it away from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who's supposed to be the preeminent one. A doctrine of a demon is anything that adds to or takes away from the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his word. All false doctrine does this. When we go away from the word of God, when we start compromising it, we are basically saying, God you made a mistake, or God, you're a liar, you didn't know what you're talking about, we have a better way, we have to take what you said, and now we have to change it for the times in which we live. Satan's behind that. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. In verse 8, the Apostle Paul, writing to a local church, Church of Colossae, he said this, in verse 8, Beware, beware, by the way, these kind of messages, some people say, and I've hardly gotten into this today, but some people will look at this kind of a message and think that, though preachers love to give these kind of messages where they're pointing things out and showing where things are false and even, yes, and by the way, I will today, name names of false teachers. And some people think preachers love to do that. Listen, I don't know of too many preachers who like to do that but it's part of what's necessary to keep a church pure. There are wolves among the sheep. We need to be able to recognize the wolves. This is not an ego thing when it comes to that kind of thing. It's a troubling thing. It's not enjoyable. I would much rather be like a life coach like Joel Osteen, as far as that approach. Now, I'm not saying I want to do that, but as far as just always just encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. Did you know, folks, that the vast majority of the New Testament epistles written by the Apostle Paul, the vast majority of them have to do with correction of error? Did you know that? It's true. They're written to correct things that are wrong. As a matter of fact, most of the Bible is written to correct things that are wrong. Because we're messed up. That's the truth of it. Colossians 2.8, Paul says, beware lest any man spoil you, take you captive. How? Through philosophy and vain deceit. Empty lies. Deceit is a lie. We get our word deceive. That's the same root word as deceit. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. You know what that means? Everything you need is in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you have everything you need. That's what it's saying. Which is the head of all principality and power go with me to 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 you know we just started Colossians 2 8 and the first word in verse 8 is beware 2nd Corinthians 11 Paul is talking now to another local church and he says this in verse 3 but I fear oh come on Paul just tell them how much Jesus loves them and he's for them and he's rooting for them and all folks there's more to it than that I'm not saying it's not important. We do need encouragement. But there's more to it than that. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from what? The simplicity that is in Christ. You know what the word simplicity means? It means singleness. Some places in our King James, it's translated as singleness of heart. In other words, it's all focused on Jesus. He's everything. He's everything. Jump down, verse 13. Those who are preaching, there were some preaching error to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians were getting sucked into this false teaching. And it says in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, deceitful, there's that word again, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. This is real. This is real. And we are living in a day when the church, on a spiritual level, is falling prey to the second law of thermodynamics. The church is tending toward randomness and decay. That's why the Bible says in the last days, there will be apostasy in the body of Christ, a falling away from the truth. And by the way, there's a major falling away that's coming when the rapture takes place in this world. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we see in 1 Timothy... Chapter 4, again in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies, verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Now this is in a very important phrase. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This third issue is this, they speak lies in hypocrisy. They speak lies and hypocrisy. Who is speaking the lies? It's teachers who are speaking the lies. It's those who have the privilege of getting a voice out to the people, speaking lies and hypocrisy. In other words, now, you know, folks, if they were just, listen carefully today, if they were just speaking lies, we could say, well, you know, they just don't have a handle on things, but it's worse than that. The lies are so bad that they have bought into them themselves and yet they're still speaking lies and false teaching and yet at the same time they are not even living up to the lies that they're expecting other people to embrace. That's hypocrisy. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. In other words, what they are teaching is false and even they themselves don't follow it. They're so hypocritical that their hypocrisy doesn't even bother them anymore. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. They are callous to the truth of God. Let me give you some examples. In the area of salvation, in the area of salvation, what does it take to get to heaven? The choir gave you the answer this morning. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You can turn there or you can look up here or look up on the screen either way it says this, for by grace are you saved. Now, how are you saved? You're saved by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, that he died for you, rose from the grave in full payment for your sin. For by grace are you saved through faith, and look what it says, and that not of yourselves. It's not of yourself, not something you can do, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. A gift is free. A gift is unconditional. If there's a condition that goes with it, in other words, I'll give you this, but you have to promise to do this, or else I'm going to take it back. That's not a gift. A gift is, I give it to you because I want you to have it. I bought and paid for it. I give you this gift. It's yours. Will you take it? Yes, I'll take it. Great, I'm glad you have it. That's a gift that's a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And just to drive it home a little bit more, verse 9, not of works. Your works are not a part of being saved. In other words, in, in getting you saved. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. One of the uh, verses that the choir sang today was Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. What does it say? But to him that worketh not, you don't do works. You're not trying to earn it. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, Jesus Christ, his faith is counted for righteousness. So God is looking for faith, He's not looking for works. He's not looking for performance. He's not looking for faithfulness. He's looking for faith alone in Christ alone. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior, not us. Here we are, you and me. This represents all of our sin. We're all sinners. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin. We are separated from God with our sin. You cannot go to heaven with even one sin. The Bible says heaven's a perfect place. No sin allowed. No sin allowed. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless in the eyes of God, and yet we're all sinners. God says if you die in that condition, you'll be lost forever. You'll be separated from God in hell forever. The Bible says our good works, as we've already seen, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves, and that is why Jesus came. The reason he came is because we couldn't save ourselves. He entered the human race, God in the flesh, and when he went to the cross of Calvary, he took our sins upon himself, and he died as our substitute. He died in our place, and he made the payment for sin, leaving us nothing to pay for. He was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says, if you will put your faith in him, he will save you by his unmerited favor his undeserved kindness that's what grace is for by grace you save through faith you're putting your faith in christ lord i believe you have paid for all my sins on the cross and when you do he saves you by his grace he gives you everlasting life he'll never lose you he'll never cast you out what a gospel that's good news But yet, folks, in the area of salvation, this issue of speaking lies and hypocrisy. Now, by the way, we're all hypocrites sometimes. I understand that. But here's the issue. In the area of salvation, you have a teaching that's very popular right now out there. It's called lordship salvation. That sounds good, by the way, doesn't it? Lordship salvation, making Jesus the Lord of your life. Well, what's wrong with that? Isn't that a A good thing? Well, after you're saved, yes, it is. But Lordship Salvation, you see, folks, here's the truth of it Lordship Salvation is a seductive doctrine because it draws people in with seemingly good intentions to get them to commit their eternal destiny to something that is impossible for them to accomplish. This is it. And this is a damnable doctrine that's being preached today. It is a false gospel. Why? Because it takes away from the all sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has paid for sin. He did all the work when He died on the cross. He said, It is finished, paid in full. And all He's asking you to do is to look and live. John chapter 3, look and live. Look by faith to Him. Put your faith in Him, not in yourself, not in your works, but in Him, and He will give you everlasting life. Lordship salvation says, no, that's not enough. Faith alone in Christ alone is not enough. You also must be faithful. Now, we as believers in this church believe that once we're saved, we ought to live faithful lives, but that doesn't get you to heaven. And it doesn't keep you on your way to heaven. This false gospel of lordship salvation produces bondage, neurotic thinking, yes, you heard that right, neurotic thinking, people who think they're going crazy because they, they hear I have to live a certain way, but how much do I have to live that way? What if I don't live that way enough? Am I going to be lost in the end? And folks... I'm not making this a bigger deal than it is because I get emails on a regular basis and we get phone calls to church. People who are, can't sleep at night. Have you trusted Yes, I've trusted Christ. Listen, it's wreaking havoc with people today. And yet this message is being embraced more and more and more by people because they're hearing it from popular preachers. No, it produces bondage, neurotic thinking. It produces self-righteousness. This is where the hypocrisy part comes in. It ultimately paints a portrait of God, the God of the Bible, as a probation officer and not a savior. In Lordship Salvation, there is no real assurance of salvation because it is based on your performance and not on the work of Christ on the cross. Here's an example, part of that message. You must repent of all your sin to be saved. Or they'll say, because if you question them on that, they'll say, well, you have to be willing to. Well, of course, what is being willing to? Isn't that a commitment to repent of all your sin? You have to repent of all your sin, and they define repent as turn away from your sin. That's not what the word repent means when it's referring to the gospel, when it's referring to salvation. Every time it is used, it is the word metanoia, meaning a change of mind or change in your thinking. Question for you today. Now, I want you to be honest. I want you to be honest. Has any person on the planet turned from all their sin? According to the Bible, no. Not just this preacher. According to the Bible, they haven't. Because 1 John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He was saved over 60 years when he wrote that, under inspiration of the Spirit. Has any person on the planet turned from all their sins? No. Well, you have to try. You have to try? Isn't that works for salvation? Aren't you saying you have to try to live right to make it to heaven? Here's another one. Now, this is the message of Calvinism today, which is growing leaps and bounds. You talk about a pandemic. This is a pandemic in the church. You need to persevere to the end. That's the fifth point of Calvinism, perseverance of the saints. You have to persevere to the end. And by the way, they don't mean by that Jesus keeps you saved. They mean by that you have to remain faithful to the end of your life. Now they'll say this, well you can have a few flub ups along the way, but in the end you die walking with Christ. And if you don't, you are never saved. So then what ultimately then is the basis of your salvation? It is your performance. It is you remaining faithful. It's not the faithfulness of Christ, it's your faithfulness. Listen, what is that doing? That's taking away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If you have to persevere to the end, this means you have to live a faithful life for Christ until the end of your life. By the way, this is why no Calvinist can honestly say they know for sure they're going to heaven. Did you know that? Famous Calvinists, as they were dying in their last days, they were actually saying to their other famous Calvinist pastor friends, pray for me that I will die in faith. That's what they were saying. Pray for me that I will die in faith. Wouldn't it just be better to take it by faith and say, you know what? God saved me many years ago, and I know I have eternal life because he took care of all my sins. I have no sins to send me to hell. Jesus took care of it all. All glory be to him. That's the true gospel. Here's another one. You need to not and by the way all these are part of the same thing. You need to not only believe but also live for Christ and follow him. This is mixing faith and works. And they'll say this if you don't follow him, you were never a real Christian to begin with. You might say who says those kind of things? Well, let me tell you. Okay? I don't take pleasure in doing this. Listen sheep, you need to know this. John MacArthur teaches that. He's very strong, Lordship Salvation. Listen, I can show you quotes till the sun goes down. John MacArthur believes it. John Piper preaches it. Alarming things they have preached and written. It's all in print. Ray Comfort is another one. Paul Washer, Stephen Lawson. This surprises some people. Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel. Jack Hibbs, I've heard several of his sermons online, and he talks about eternal security. He says, I'm secure in Christ. He says, as long as I abide in Christ, I'm secure in Christ. Oh, that sounds encouraging. No, it doesn't sound encouraging. Abiding in Christ means you are walking in fellowship with Him. You're living in a a yielded, obedient life to Him. It's the same thing as the others are preaching. It's just said a different way why can't we just be satisfied with the work of Calvary as our way to heaven? Greg Laurie is another one. J.I. Packer, who recently died. Another popular radio preacher, Alistair Begg, is another one who preaches it. It's all Calvinism, and it's all mixing the grace of God and man's works together. Now they'll say, no, 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 it's not man's works. Listen, here's what they say. God gives me the grace so that I can live the life. So ultimately all glory goes to him. Yeah, but friends, that's not what the gospel is according to the Bible. The gospel, what is that? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, and he rose the third day according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. He was faithful He provides for us eternal life as a gift. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But to him that worketh not, you don't do anything, but you believe in him that justifies the ungodly. That man's faith is counted for righteousness. That's what God says. God says that. But these things are doctrines of demons. They're mixing error with truth and deceiving people. Now listen, folks, if these men or anybody else, I'm not picking on men, I'm just saying I know for a fact this is what they teach. If they claim they personally have done this, then their conscience is seared because if they're honest, they would admit it. The people who call us, who are beside themselves, who have adopted lordship salvation or have been raised in it, And they call us and they are so fearful, they have more sensitivity to God than others. Because they realize, listen, I'm hearing I have to be faithful, but what if I'm not faithful enough? And so they're scared. Yes, if you believe it's the work of Christ and your faithfulness, you ought to be scared. Because you definitely can fail. And by the way, you will at times fail. That's not a good thing. It's always a bad thing. Sin is always a bad thing. But anybody who claims that they have personally turned from all their sins, that they will persevere to the end, and that they are following Christ and will follow him till the day they die and therefore make it to heaven, that's hypocrisy. Because they are not living the life of perfection. Well, you don't have to live a perfect life. Okay, then how good do you have to live? 50%, 60%, 75%? Isn't it just much more clear and wonderful to be able to sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, including me, is sinking sand. Paul said in uh, Galatians chapter 3, I'll just read this because of time. Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Interesting term, right? These are people who got saved. False teachers came in and say, listen, Jesus is necessary, but it's not enough lordship salvation. And they got sucked into it. So Paul was writing to straighten them out. That's what Galatians is all about. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You guys have the Holy Spirit. How'd you get them? By works or by faith? Well, we got them by faith, Paul. Okay. Verse three, are you so Foolish. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You couldn't save yourself to begin with. What makes you think you can keep yourself saved by living right when you obviously can't live right? Not enough to merit salvation. So we see this in the area of salvation, okay? But also in the Christian life. isn't? I think it's quite interesting that in the following verses, we see some examples of what, in our passage here in Timothy, some examples of what Paul had in mind, and that it was some sort of false spirituality, one aspect being that of abstinence from certain things. But this would apply to any false teaching. Back to 1 Timothy 4. It says in verse 3, "...forbidding to marry..." Now, some of these seductive teachings, false teachings, apostasy, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, foods, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. I'm not saying do this, but in verse 3, if you want it out in your margin, you could just write in there, Catholic Church. Do you have any idea the problems that have taken place in the world in which we live? The heartache, the misery, the abuse that has taken place by the Catholic Church forbidding priests to marry? All the illegitimate children that have been born, all the pedophiles that have been created, in a sense, because of their laws, because of their rules, all the aborted babies, can I say it, of nuns, this is history, folks. I don't take pleasure in it, and I'm not trying to badmouth people. I'm just saying false teaching has its price. I remember when I was a boy. Listen, I was raised Roman Catholic. When I was a boy, if you ate meat on Friday, you go to hell. I can remember when they changed it. I thought, whew, poor people who lived their whole life under that. And I thought, that can't be true. That can't be true. You eat meat on Friday, you go to hell. And now all of a sudden they flip a switch and now you don't go to hell? You can eat meat on Friday? Isn't it amazing even to this day, places like McDonald's are affected by the Catholic Church and that during Lent they run specials on fish sandwiches on Friday? See, that's, that's all the remnant stuff with all that. Look what it says. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. By the way, which God hath created, verse 1, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. See, folks, while these are not the only ones these two examples are given now the issues of lordship salvation all that all of them are seductive doctrines but God's word says like with the issue of marriage God said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make him a help meet for him fit for him and that was the woman and there was a reason for that and then this issue of abstaining from certain foods and the reason was some spiritual reason well listen If I am complete in Christ, I don't need to abstain from food. As a matter of fact, when Noah got off the ark, right, what did God say in Genesis chapter 9? Eat anything you want. He said in Genesis 9, 3, every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean if it moves, you have to eat it. (laughs) I grew up in South Florida. Cockroaches and palmetto bugs? I don't think so. I'm not going after one of them, and I'm not too keen on chameleons either, or spiders. But God said to Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But isn't it interesting? In my lifetime, last 50 years, we've seen more and more of this issue come up, and there are movements that take place in the church, Right? Oh, you know, Christians shouldn't be eating pork. They shouldn't be eating this. You shouldn't be eating that and all of that. No, wait a minute. You disagree with what the Bible says. God says you can eat anything you want. Well, if I eat that, it gives me indigestion and all that. Okay, don't eat it. But don't make, don't think you're more spiritual. Or, no, thank you. I'm a vegan now. Give your meat to me. (laughs) Now, listen, if you're a vegan because it's better for your body... You have found it helps you. Good for you. That's fine. But don't make that an issue that you're more spiritual than somebody. That's what it's saying. You know, I think all of us are sensitive to certain foods. They produce this in your body or that or, you know, fine, fine. But don't make it an issue you're more spiritual because you don't eat meat. You're more spiritual because you only drink a certain kind of milk or this, or that. Well, you know, I follow the Old Testament laws. You're not under the law. That's what Paul's saying. And he's a Jew. He knew what he was talking about. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. It's set apart. It's pure in God's eyes as long as you thank God for it and pray. Listen, most pastors who have the courage to speak out on these issues are being vilified today for doing so. But this shows how successful Satan has been and is being in corrupting the church. We're vilifying the good guys, and we're not taking a stand against the error like we used to. Folks, it's a tragedy. Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 6, and we'll close with this. It says, if thou put the brethren... He's writing to a pastor, and here's what he says to Timothy... He says, Tim, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, literally the faith, there is an article there in the Greek, and of a good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained or followed closely or followed carefully, okay? The preacher who in kindness and love but nevertheless doesn't blunt it down, preacher who will be straightforward speak the truth and love because he cares about the people those people god says you'll be considered as a good minister of jesus christ that's what god says and we believe that here in our church and i hope you do let me say today if you've never put your faith in jesus christ your trust in him as your savior i hope you understand today folks you can't earn it there's not one thing you can do of yourself to get you to heaven. All you can do is believe Jesus has done it, all the work for you. You put your faith in him and him alone. And the moment you do, he will save you and give you everlasting life. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated thank you so much and God bless you